0: Prayed for revival. You've read about Reformation. It's time to start a a revolution. God's Business Revolution is starting now. Join us as we talk about God using business owners, entrepreneurs, and marketplace leaders. Let's talk about God using you. Welcome to God's
1: Business Revolution. Thank you for tuning in today. This is Tim. The following message that you're getting ready to hear was recorded during a Sunday morning service in Carmel, Indiana. The location was The Well in Carmel. For more information on that church, you can find them online at thewellincarmel.org. Enjoy this message. It's going to give you permission to prosper, and it's going to anoint you for business. Blessings. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Um, So... I'm always hesitant to talk about myself, but if you don't know who I am, I should probably make a couple short introductions and why in the world am I leaving this beautiful, wonderful state of Indiana to go to uh, the bowels of Southern California. Um, So, a little bit about me, a tiny bit about me, I happen to be an ordained marketplace minister. I'm ordained through Morningstar Ministries. I also Went back a few years ago, and I got my MBA. I've been in business doing something. I've owned my own business, even if it was a small one, since, since 1990, 91. So I've been doing this for a while, and God really laid on my heart that there is a call to the marketplace for me, and really is a call to the marketplace for everybody. And that's what I want to share this morning. But what's interesting is what's going on here right now, today, this morning, this week, here at the well. Now, you may wonder why Southern California, and and I will tell you why Southern California for me, and that that there there is a catalyst of things there that is perfect for what God has called me to. Now, I didn't figure this out, because I told God no to Southern California. I said, I don't want to go. Earthquakes, fires taxes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I know a lot of good conservative folks in Indiana question California often. And I had this list of things why I didn't want to go. And I'm pretty sure I heard the voice of God very clearly say, why do you think I need you? I'm like, God, it's just me. And I've still got a bunch of questions even at this moment of why I'm going. But there is a catalyst and a synergy there because there is there are some fantastic church congregations there that are hungry for this next move of God. There are some, uh, the, the, the business climate is the most influential in the country, even more so than New York. And so there is a catalyst of need and a catalyst of opportunity. And I believe that's why God's calling me there. Trust me, I don't have all the answers. I don't. I'm just being obedient at this point. Right here, bringing us back to the well we need to have a real quick history lesson on the well. When I say history lesson, I mean the last seven days. (laughs) Tom, what what are the talking points from Wednesday night's lesson this week when we did the little the presence thing? What was just, just
2: share those talking points with us real quick. Well, we've been doing this series, eight-week series with Bill Johnson, talking about releasing the presence of God. And uh, so this week, uh, we continue to talk about If you walk outside thinking the dove is on your shoulder, how would you act? Would you act differently? And what kind of shadow do you provide for others when they see you? Do they know your presence, that your God is is overshadowing you, so that's your shadow out there? And they talked about a few different ways of releasing God's presence, and it was by word, it was by touch, it was by a prophetic act, and the act of faith. I thought the best thing for me was that the breakthrough does not come through instructions. It comes through adventure by stepping out. So, Thank you. Wow. Would you pass the mic to Sally? And Sally, what
1: was the word you gave last week in service?
3: Okay, so uh, they were talking, we had a panel up here talking about creativity, being able to create. Uh, and. You know, all of them were very artistic, right-brained people. And when somebody said that creative, or everyone, everyone in the body is creative, regardless of your gifting. And so I was just kind of teasing that out in my brain, like, okay, how are math, science people creative? Because we're, we're totally not. that, <laughs> And I felt like the Lord just dropped into my spirit, um, there are some people here who are creative who are called to create wealth. And, uh, and so I got up and shared that there's not only, yeah, there's, there's people who see what is not, which is the essence of being creative, seeing what is not and bringing it into reality. You know? So that's not only art and music, but it's also creating businesses, you know, having a vision for business and creating something where there was nothing. Um, So, yeah, those are my points.
1: Thank you. Marvin, what did you say this morning during the first service?
0: Okay, so uh, in an encounter with the Lord, I heard a uh, doorbell, and I just cooperated in my sanctified imagination. I opened the door, and the Father was standing there, and he had just his arms were loaded with packages with gifts, all beautiful. And uh, he said, surprise. And he began to distribute gifts this morning. I just sense what a lavish gift giver, what a lavish father uh, he was. And then um, I just uh, had a memory of Oprah's great giveaway, <laughs> where she says, "You get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car." And I saw the Lord tossing keys in the congregation. I know vehicles are ministries, so I knew ministries were being launched today but i also felt like real deal physical vehicles were going to be launched and then patrick told me he got a new car yesterday which is amazing and so five minutes after i heard the doorbell and the lord said surprise christine westoff texts me and she says marvin watch and be alert this morning surprises are in the room he's taking you guys into a season of celebration something has finally ended it is finished it's time to party And then she said, this is for the life of the community as a whole, but I can feel that people can grab this moment for their personal breakthroughs as well. It is finished.
1: So Tim, you're going to get up here and talk about business, and it's going to be all boring and numbers and business stuff, and you're going to ruin this presence of God we're experiencing right now. Oh, ye of little faith. Matter of fact, I had to do a little rewrite this morning, and I need to address something because I know there are people in this room, or maybe listening to this recording later, that are thinking, oh my God, please, God, don't let him talk about prosperity gospel and about name it and claim it and blah, 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 Oh my gosh, that's so not you, God. That's so not you. I do have a challenge with the quote-unquote prosperity gospel. In the past, the prosperity gospel has been taught with no instruction, no discipleship, and no further information about how to step into the promises of God. We all agree God has promises for us, right? And we're going to dive into this a little bit deeper. I'm going to give you some information. In fact, I'm going to give you permission as well today. But I often ask myself and ask other people, okay, let's just say that the gospel is not a gospel of prosperity for a moment. What's the opposite of that? Is it a poverty gospel? Um, Well, considering Jesus said that uh, I came to preach the good news to the poor, I don't think so. However, I've often asked myself why everybody gets healed instantaneously, but those that are poor have to sit and listen to a preacher. And there's a reason for that, is because you do work out your salvation, and part of that is that that there is this kingdom economic concept where you actually have to work. Okay? We're going to dive into that a little bit. So if it's not a a prosperity gospel and it's not a poverty gospel, well, let's see what's left. A mediocre gospel? It's the last thing this is, is a mediocre gospel. So I challenge you, we're going to... Dive into the word prosperity a little bit this morning, and we're going to take a look at that because God is the one who brings that. Now, we put the effort in and we do the work, and that's important to know because one of the disconnects between the church and business. Well, there have been several disconnects between church and business, but one of the disconnects between church and business is if you've got these business guys, business women, business people, business everything out here working really, really hard during the week, okay, and then it seems like the pastor comes in on Sunday morning and, and does, his, does his message, and then there's this, huge, there's this, this huge, there's huge, huge disconnect between the two. So as we dive into this, what I'm hoping to do is establish, first of all, a premise a concept, and we've already started on that. Matter of fact, James, go ahead and put that first slide up, if you would, please. And then we're going to give you permission, and then we're going to go into some practical stuff about the early church, what the early church actually did with business. Now, this is a very, very, very interesting quote by a very, very conservative preacher. I believe that one of the next great moves of God is going to be through the believers in the workplace. So, I have a question for you. Who in here thinks they're involved in business? And if you don't, you're wrong. Because I guarantee you, some of you are participating in business and commerce right now. If you have a Bible app open on your phone, you are participating in commerce with a company that made that app on your phone and you are a consumer, you are consuming right now, therefore, you are in business of some type or another. If you are an employee, guess what? Every day you go in, you have to to work hard enough not to get fired, (laughs) right? And guess what? The boss pays you just enough to keep you there, too. So keep in mind that we are all entities that partake in business, okay? In matter of fact, let's look at the definition of commerce. Next slide, please. Definition of commerce is this. Uh, I got this from dictionary.com. An interchange of goods or commodities, especially on a large scale between different countries, foreign commerce, or between different parts of the same country, domestic commerce, trade, business. Two, social relations, especially the exchange of views, attitudes, etc. This third one was very interesting to me. Under the definition of commerce, intellectual or spiritual interchange, communion, Now, by the way, there's a couple other definitions that weren't appropriate to post, but there's that one. So if you go to dictionary.com, that's actually what it says. Intellectual or spiritual exchange, communion. What? That's business? That's commerce? Next slide. There's a Hebrew word. This word, avoda, avoda. I don't speak Hebrew. I'm guessing even on how to pronounce that. But... It is a Hebrew word literally meaning work, worship, and service. In a modern context, usually referring to business-type activities, it can also mean agricultural work, and more traditionally, serving God. There's been an argument made recently, even on our video that we watched on Wednesday night, that work and worship are the same thing. So if we take that concept of work and worship or commerce and worship, we take that concept, what does that do to our everyday lives? What does that do every time we are at the checkout line at Walmart? What does that do every time we're in a sales meeting and we're doing a sales presentation? What is that, what, how, what is that, no matter what you do, whether you work in a hospital, whether you work in a laundromat, doesn't make any difference. You are participating in commerce. You have an opportunity to worship, and you have an opportunity to escort the presence of God into that moment. Is that not, is that not what we've been designed to do? Because we're talking about ushering the presence of God on Wednesday nights, and we're talking about about God showing up. Well, if the Holy Spirit rests on our shoulder, if the if the if God is actually inside inside of us, okay, then we are carrying God everywhere we go. Every time you send an email, when you're on the job, and I don't I I don't do this, okay. I'm not I, I'm far from perfect on this, but every time we send an email, should the Spirit of God be released through that email that we send. In a perfect environment, yes. And I believe that that should be our goal is excellence. None of us are perfect, but our goal should be excellence. Because though every email we send is a relationship and is an opportunity to minister to somebody. Matter of fact, the word serve or service, you walk into a restaurant, that's what the server comes, that's an opportunity to serve. In your, in your job, uh, next slide, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and every living thing that moves upon the earth, God told us at the beginning before the fall, he said, work, take care of this place, make it better, make it bigger, make it stronger, make it faster, work. And this is what and this is what I've designed you to do. And it's kind of interesting because that all of a sudden gives us a whole new picture of the garden before because their work, this dominion and this multiplying was their worship. Matter of fact, business in and of itself, there's something that God designed, I believe. And that is the fact that in business, people specialize. Henry Ford did figure that out in his assembly line, that if somebody specialized in something, everything would go quicker. But when people specialize in business, somebody grows corn, somebody grows soybeans, somebody somebody is a podiatrist, somebody is an OBGYN. When you specialize, then you're better at your job. But what that requires is interaction. And that's where business and commerce comes in and trade comes in, because now you're interacting with people and you're in relationship in business on a daily basis. Because when the podiatrist needs bread, they can't get it at work. they got to go to the grocery store. So, it, so it's this opportunity for a relationship. Now, as, we, as I go forward in this, there's several things that I'm just gonna, I just want to point out. And I want to get you to think differently about business. Because one of the things I want you to realize is that... The Bible is full of business ideas, business terminology, business sources, and it is a tool to be used. In fact, I have a friend of mine who just released a whole brand new program on this. He originally was going to call it Supernatural Selling, and he calls it the Seven Secrets instead, but what he does is he breaks down, he breaks down the, he breaks down (laughs) the tabernacle the inner courts the outer courts of the, the, the outer courts inner courts and the holy of holies and breaks that down into a into a sales and business process he also teaches about how the book of Philemon, there's 31 negotiating tactics in the book of philemon he also talks about the moses questioning strategy from a sales standpoint and how the questions moses asked so the bible is full matter of fact and sometimes I'm just going to resort to, to reading because I just don't have this memorized and I, want to, I, I don't want to miss anything. See, Jesus may have mentioned business a few times. 45 of Jesus' 52 parables he told related to the workplace. He discipled in the marketplace. Of his public appearances, 122 of 132 were in the workplace. He recruited businessmen. He was in business as a carpenter for more than half of his life. In the Bible, more than 75% of the characters were, were business people. The divine encounters in the book of Acts, 39 out of 40 were in the marketplace. Work in several different forms, as mentioned in the Bible, it's mentioned in the Bible more than 800 times. This is more than all the words used to express worship, music, praise, and singing combined. Matter of fact, it is finished. Next slide, please. Jesus said, "To die." that's the best Greek I got, meaning it is finished. What that is, is this. That was one of the most common business terms of the day. And it literally means, give me your bill of sale, put a stamp on it, paid in full, you're free to walk out the door with your merchandise. Think about that. Jesus is on the cross and he says, your bill has been paid in full. That blows me away that he would use a common business term at that moment in time to make one of the strongest points or the strongest point of his ministry. So I want to give you some permission now. I want to give you permission to think about prosperity. Now keep in mind, as we talk about prosperity, it's God who promotes you. 1 Peter Peter 5 Verse 6 says that God promotes when He's ready to. But it also says that we're supposed to humble ourselves to His process. There are two words that are mentioned in the Bible. Well, it's actually one word it's the word peace. In the Old Testament, the word is shalom. In the New Testament, the Greek is arene. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm a geek. And speaking of Bible apps and apps that I use, I, I'm constantly digging into Strong's Concordance and looking at definitions. And so on the left is shalom, on the right is a reine. Um, shalom, from safe, that is well, happy, happy, friendly, also welfare, uh, health, prosperity, peace. A probably from the primary verb, the second blah, blah, blah. Literally or figuratively, by implication, prosperity. One, peace, quietness, at rest. These are basically the same word Matter of fact, an interesting quote from our friends at Jews for Jesus says this, that in the classic Greek, peace is a state of law and order that gives rise to the blessing of prosperity. It is also used to denote peaceful conduct towards others. The New Testament use of a remains firmly based in the Hebrew traditions of shalom. It, is, it can describe both the content And the goal of all Christian preaching, since the message is called the gospel of peace. The word is found 91 times in the New Testament, 24 of which are in the gospel. One of the best definitions I've heard for the word shalom is nothing missing, nothing broken. Complete wholeness. What's that mean? That is restoration. Yes. Because I think to myself, why did Jesus come to begin with? He came to reestablish what we had in the garden before the fall. When we were in the garden, we had everything that we needed. There was nothing missing. There was fullness. There was nothing broken. Again, from our friends at Jews for Jesus, uh, the root denotes completion or wholeness. The general meaning of the root word is entering into a state of wholeness and unity, a restored relationship. It also conveys a wide range of nuances. Fulfillment, completion, maturity, soundness, wholeness, harmony, tranquility, security, well-being, welfare, friendship, agreement, success, and prosperity. The word shalom occurs more than 250 times in the Old Testament in 213 separate verses. It describes the state of those who love the word of God in Psalm 119, 165. It it depicts the concept of peace expressed in the blessing of Aaron found in Numbers 624, wherein it sums up all other blessings as closely associated with the presence of God. Peace is the result of God's presence in a person's life, and God is the source of peace. So going forward, when you think about peace in the presence of God, don't think about absence of war. That's part of it. But I want you to think about wholeness. I want you to think about nothing missing, nothing broken. I want you to think about having everything that you need. Why? So that you can help other people find everything that they need. That's why. I'm going to continue to give you permission. And I'm going to apologize because I may wind up reading more of this than I had, than I had planned. But again, I want to make sure that, I, that, that, you, that you get this, uh, that you get the specific words here. Um, God has what I believe is an economic agenda. And his economic agenda in summary today, is three things, okay? The first thing in the economic agenda, James, you can do the next slide, thank you. The first one is wealth for good. The Bible is very clear on this, and the gospel is a personal gospel, so each person is responsible for their own salvation. If that's the case, if it's a personal gospel and it's a personal experience, Wealth is not a collective thing. Wealth is an individual thing. Now, I also, I know I'm using terms like wealth and prosperity. Please keep in mind, there's a huge difference between wealth and money. Money is a tool. Wealth is a mindset, a concept, and it's something that we are to pass on to generations. And it is not just having financial resources, although that could be considered some of it. Okay? Okay. One of the challenges we have is that, is that the, um, when we tell people you need to work, a lot of pastors don't like to talk about that because that denotes personal responsibility. And I am here this morning to let you know that first of all, your work is your worship, and second of all, it's work that takes you down this path of shalom and arenae. First Timothy six eighteen instructs us to be rich in good works and willing to distribute. See the word rich there means exactly that. You could, translate, you could translate that phrase, good works that are wealthy. The words distribute and communicate both express a liberal approach in abundance and giving. And let's face it, we can't give if we don't have. We're to, be very, we're to be rich in every way, to be generous in every way, and have everything that we need in all areas in order to distribute freely and give to the poor, 2 Corinthians 9. Number two, transfer of wealth. Transfer of wealth comes in two forms, to you and from you. We're to transfer wealth to, our, to the next generations, according to Proverbs 13, and this continues to let us know that, this, that the wealth of the sinner has been reserved for the righteous, ecclesiastics, also says that the sinner is given travail so that God can give those who are righteous the things of the sinner that are set aside. 1 Timothy 5.8 indicates that we're to take care of our families. Now Israel had wealth given to them supernaturally. And they had a lot of supernatural experiences. Matter of fact, if you remember, Pharaoh paid them to leave. Right? <laughs> he paid them to leave. Now, he had second thoughts. But he actually got to a point where he paid them to leave. But it's interesting. They were given the wealth. Then they had to fight for it. They were given it first. Then they had to work for it. Witness to the nations. Nations should be looking to you to see how good God is. Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. That's Psalm 33. Malachi 3, you know right after the famous tithing verse, uh, indicates that God protects from the devourer so that nations will see that we are blessed. God shares the transfer of wealth from Egypt, Seba, and Ethiopia in Isaiah 45 so that people will say there is no other God. Right. Now from those of you who think we're in this huge Isaiah 45 time of prophetic activity right now with Cyrus, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, read the rest of the chapter. The wealth is there, and it says the wealth comes up from the from Egypt, and the places that actually held Israel captive. That's what's if, if we if we are in a if we are in an Isaiah 45 prophetic movement, that's what's next. Wow! Come on, yes. Deuteronomy 28:12 tells us to lend to many nations, but not borrow. God's people are to be the source, the supply, and the producer, not the consumer, and most definitely not the freeloader. The great commissioning of believers given in Matthew 28 to teach all nations. Yeah, there it is right there on the wall. We're supposed to disciple all nations. Now, how do you disciple nations? You disciple nations by discipling the areas of influence. You disciple nations by some people refer to them as the seven mountains, the seven gates. Uh, And we could dive into that, but we don't have near enough time. But you disciple nations by discipling the things that make the nation run. Quite frankly, a lot of other religions and a lot of other denominations and other false denominations are really, really good at discipling, and we're not. Especially when it comes to those areas of influence. I'm going to tackle something as, we, as uh, this is the last section I've got. And as I tackle this, um, I know that this is, you're, going to, you're going to look at these chapters and you're going to be like, wait a second. You're, you're using those chapters to explain business and prosperity? Next slide, please. <clears throat> Acts chapter 4. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were with one heart, one soul. Neither said any, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power gave, gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses were sold, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made to every man according to as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was, named, was surnamed Barnabas, by which is being interpreted the son of Consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and, bought, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Next slide. We're going to go back to Acts chapter 2. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and breaking bread and prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted to them all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Praising God, and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I've affectionately referred to these two passages in the past as the hippie commune verses. <clears throat> because that sure seems to appear to be what they're doing. It appears to be that they are in a hippie commune and that everybody's bringing everything in together and um, and then they're just putting all their money or something in the resources in the middle and everybody's walking around with long handles long with sandals and beads and long hair and and uh, and and just and just praising praising God all day and and that's all they're doing. In the next couple of minutes I do not want to attempt to establish doctrine that is not what we're getting ready to do. I am not trying to establish doctrine. I am trying, trying to get you to think with a little bit different perspective about what might be possible and what might actually be going on here. Side note, it's 1145. If you need to get your kids, go ahead and do that, but hurry back in. You're not gonna wanna miss this hippie commune verse. So, <laughs> bear with me, because I'm gonna read through this and I'm gonna geek out on you, okay, with some, with some definitions, some words. And then we're going to go in and we're going to see what's going on here. We're going to bring us all down and land this plane to see what's going on here at the well and what actually that has to do with me leaving. <clears throat> first of all, verse 44 in Acts 2. And all that believe were together. This is a very interesting word. First of all, together means, first of all, superimposed. Okay? Laying on top of each other. Superimposed. Kind of like... We are in business. How we're all superimposed, and how businesses are working together. And then from the and then the second. It's interesting because there's two words there. And the second word means uh, something about the idea of a baffling wind, and it's based on a root word of the spirit. So I have to stop and think: Are they talking about being one together in the spirit? What concept are they trying to get? What concept are, is 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 meant in this in this verse? What's interesting, though, it continues. It says they had all things common. In the King James, it says all things common. In other translations, it says all things in common. When you go back to the original word, uh, what that word means, it means something more like commoners or typical or routine or familiar or natural. In other words, just think for a moment. They may not be saying in common. They may be saying we're commoners. In other words, we're a group of people working together under the breath and the power of the Holy Spirit, but we just all have to be regular folks doing our thing. That's entirely possible what that verse says. Now again, I'm not trying to reestablish doctrine. I just want you to think differently based on the definition of the words. As we continue, the word sold in verse 45 is "perail." That is there, it literally means to traffic or to merchandise. Think about the trade routes. So, that is definitely, definitely a business term. Their possessions, that word means an acquirement or an estate. Estate. Wait a second. Estate refers to a lot and not a little. So, it's quite possible, and not only that, it's probable that they didn't have just a little bit. But there were some people that were well off in this process. Goods, existence of proprietorship, property, wealth. My favorite word, though, in this chapter is need. And parted to them all men, every man as he had need. From the base of a different word is what, the, what it says, but then the first word by definition says Employment. That is an affair. By implication, an occasion, demand, requirement, or distribution, business, lack, or necessity. So you could almost translate that, possibly, as they distribute to every man according to his employment. And again, I'm not trying to reframe doctrine. I just want you to think differently about what might actually be going on here. One of the biggest things in, James, could you go back to the previous slide? One of the biggest things that, that they continue to talk about, though, is unity and how important unity is. And so in, in verse 32 of Acts 4, where it says, it says neither of them said any of the other things which was, that he possessed was his own. Okay? What that word means is that it was... It was each thing was private or separate. So is it possible that they were taking their possessions, they were taking their, everything that they had, that they were running, their business, in fact, it even says in the definition, one of the words even talks about own business. It says, so I'm wondering, did they pool their businesses and their resources? Did their businesses and their resources start to mesh and work together? And again, it says they had all things common in the King James, not in common, and I'm not giving, I'm not saying the King James is a better translation than other translations. I'm just saying that in this particular case, that word without the word in in front of it, seems to maybe possibly fit a little bit better with the definition of the word common that is given to us in the original Greek. The word neither here seems to be, it seems to kind of separate the verses two and here it, it's possible that this means but, where the neither in the previous verse means something different. So basically saying, yeah, they're doing this, but there were as many as, as," meaning when it says as many as means those who had. In other words, not everyone had stuff, but as many who did have were possessors of lands. And that's specifically, that word is a plot of ground. Okay? So in other words, somebody had some extra land they sold. And houses is exactly is exactly what it means. And again, the word need comes down to comes down to employment. And then having land in verse thirty-seven, meaning that it seems like this guy had an extra field. Here's my challenge in this concept: is it, maybe it wasn't quite as much of a, as a, of a hippie commune as we think as it was that we think it might have been. Maybe what this was was believers who came together and and had business experience and had experience in the marketplace and realized that there were some people among them that were less fortunate. Because nowhere does it say at any point in time that this stopped. So we've kind of got to think that whatever system of wealth that they had created, whatever businesses that they owned, that they continued to run those businesses. Nobody said they stopped, nobody never does it say they stopped working. So there was a system of wealth that was created and they took the experts of the system of wealth and and they took it in and they distributed it to everybody who had need, maybe even in the form of employment. So they made sure that in a system of commerce, they took care of their own and they took care of each other. So much so that the world started to look at these guys and get threatened. So much so that they became such a strong force. And again, let's make an assumption here with me. Maybe they, came, maybe they became such a strong force economically that the leaders of the day really started to get threatened. And maybe that's why they went after their leaders, the apostles. And the apostles became martyrs because of the threat that was really there because Jesus wasn't just a some kid born in a manger he was a economic threat he was a royalty threat there were kings that came from a different country to worship him and bow down to him because of this new king that was this new king that was born this was a, this is a this is social political challenge that Jesus brought in and his believers were tasked with continuing that social political Challenge to address the current challenges of the day in their political climate, in their social climate, and in the marketplace. So is it possible that we, as we disciple nations, are supposed to take everything that God has given us, make an assumption that God's promises are true through us, and that we're supposed to work and worship at the same time, and we're supposed to become influencers economically and influence social stuff and political stuff and anything else happening and take care of people? Is that possible? Because you can't do it if you don't have it. I often have thought that the church would be a powerful, powerful force if it wasn't broke. Wow. And again, money is a tool. Money itself is not good or bad. Money's colorblind. Money is what you do with it. Here's where this applies specifically to the wealth. And I was asking God, "Why am I preaching this today? Why is it this weekend? Why is it?" And I just I wasn't getting an answer and didn't get an answer until this morning. The well in Carmel. And by the way, I believe there are others that this message extends to, not just here, but I'm addressing you this morning. You have a next. You have a next assignment. You have a next. Your next is to influence socially and politically and economically, etc., etc., etc. That's your next. Okay? Because this group of people has been brought here. And you are not always going to agree 100% on, on this particular social issue or this, politi- this particular political issue. That's fine. Just agree on Jesus. And agree that you need resources to make sure Jesus gets preached and to make sure that Jesus gets, Jesus gets, his message gets out. So these words that have been given over the past week and this morning is that it's time. There is a specific time today. And there may even be specific people here today. and And you are, you're in a couple categories. One category may be man, all this money stuff sounds good, but I don't want to be, I don't want to be, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to be accused to being one of those prosperity gospel people and, and, and I just took all your excuses away. Okay? So you have no more excuses. God's called you. God's called you to steward. And that's one of the biggest things you need to remember when it comes to finances and business. If you have a business, if you have finances, if you have, basically, if you have a family, you're running a small business, are you not? Okay? Right? So, It's important to steward your finances and your business and your family. And it's also important to steward prophetic words that have been given to you. Because if you don't steward the prophetic words that have been given to you, guess what? They do not come to pass. Why do you think the prophetic words were given to you? They were given to you so you could steward them and they could come to pass. Because most of the time they're not going to come to pass. They're just a direction. So, Pull these concepts down. Pull these business concepts down. And I believe that there is, for the the best term I think, is this morning there is an anointing for business and business concepts. And those that anointing, okay, extends to all of us because you are anointed to run a business and do really well. You are anointed to remember to pray for that cashier in the Walmart checkout line as you're buying stuff. You're anointed to pray for that person you're sending an email to. You're anointed to bring social change, political change, and economic change to Carmel, to Indianapolis, to Indiana, and to our country. You have no excuses. Jesus said... I preach the good news to the poor. That means you have to listen, you have to learn, and you have to absorb and then do. So, here's my challenge. Seek out what makes you a better consumer. What makes you a better business person? What makes you manage your your finances for your family better? What makes you manage your family better? Okay? All these things are commerce and business seek out things, including the Word of God. I already told you, exposed this morning, there's a ton of stuff in the Word of God about business we don't talk about. But there are resources upon resources upon resources, and I'll obviously share with you anything. If you've got specific questions, I'll share with you what I know and resources I know of. But I want to pray for you guys this morning. And I want to release, not because it comes from me, but because the timing is here for this meeting today. I want to release an anointing for business. And keep in mind, business is not just owning a business. Business is everything we've talked about today. But I want to release this anointing to you guys. But the only way that anointing is going to be released and done and and take hold is if you steward it. And And you steward it well. Because it's time. It's time for the well to turn the corner. And it's time for the well to become an influencer where it has not been an influencer before. Both locally and statewide and nationwide, and part of that is because you've given freely your people and you're releasing your people someplace else. So God's saying, "I'm going to empower you to remain," because you're you're willing to you're willing to you've been willing the last several years to let people go. And quite frankly, in the past, uh, this whole um, um, somebody gave a word about this church years ago. So I've been told something about a revolving door or something about people coming and going. And lo and behold that's what we're supposed to be doing here. And so we've been obedient to that, and since we've been obedient to that here in this congregation, God's going to honor that. So, you can be anointed for business, but that means you've got to work. The good news, your work is also your worship. And if you're worshiping, and if you're worshiping, Constantly in your work, the worship brings the presence. You want to change the world? Get anointed for business. Okay, so uh, we'll close. In, we'll close in prayer. Um, is there anything after I get done that we need to we need to tackle? Okay, um, so uh, we'll close in prayer um, and. Um, Marvin, why don't you, can you come and help, help lead us right now? Because I, I, I'm, I'm actually actually stumbling through, because I want to make sure that this anointing gets passed, and, and I can pray, but I want you to take the lead right now. Yes, Jesus. Amen.
0: So let's just all stand up together. I feel like none of us are exempt. I love those definitions, because none of us are exempt from commerce and business and Man, I'm stewarding with six adopted kids. We're stewarding a huge business. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I love that. It's yeah. own small business here. So yeah, the anointing, I just feel the anointing here so strongly. So if this is something you want to receive, I just, again, the Lord was passing out presents. I just feel like open your arms like it's Christmas morning, just receive. Lord, I just thank you. For a fresh anointing in this place, Lord, you told me uh, almost two months ago now that the the well, this specific local family was going to steward over a million dollars and um, to touch this neighborhood and the nations, Lord. So I just that happens. Lord, it's not just a magic button. It has to do with everything that Tim so beautifully laid out this morning. So we steward that word. We just pray for anointing, for resourcing the kingdom. Lord, how much gospel influence could this family have? Lord, I think of Caleb getting ready to launch off today. Lord, in the halls here for these two weeks. Lord, before they go back to California. Lord, I think of Ralph, our brother Ralph, who's in from Haiti for a short time and getting ready to go back. Lord, how much gospel influence could we have if we stewarded this arena of commerce? Lord, how much could we have in education, entertainment, uh, the marketplace? Lord, uh, the political mountain, the church mountain, family. Lord, these. Seven arenas of influence. I just pray more. Let it come from heaven. Let it fall right now on every person in this room. We receive it. Lord, I pray for every person in this room who's been serving in the marketplace and they felt misunderstood, they felt marginalized, they felt like uh, they're second class. They've seen, like, there's been a lie of a distinction between clergy and secular. We break that mindset, that lie between secular and sacred. We just say it's all holy unto the Lord, holy unto the Lord. That's, Tim, that's what I'm walking away from. We're saying it's all worship. It's all holy unto the Lord. Every dream you're stewarding, holy unto the Lord. Just mark you as holy, separated unto the Lord to bring his dreams to pass in the earth. The mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for listening and thank you for joining God's Business Revolution. Be sure to follow us on social media and online at www.godsbusinessrevolution.com.